going through a series through the book of 2 Corinthians, which we have titled Power and Weakness. And we're glad that you've, you've joined in on this Sunday. This morning, we're going to be talking about grace-generated generosity from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Grace-generated generosity. And so let me just start with a couple of paradoxes, kingdom paradoxes that we see in Scripture that Jesus taught and the Apostle Paul taught. Life comes through death. Gain comes through losing. Exaltation comes through humility. Strength comes through weakness. Glory comes through suffering. The first will be last. The last will be first. Wealth comes through poverty. Greatness comes through serving. And more blessing comes through giving. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And this doesn't make sense. These paradoxes are difficult for the world to get. And oftentimes they're difficult for us Christians to get. And we need to have our minds renewed with the kingdom perspective. And in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is trying to help the Corinthian church grow in their Christ-likeness, grow in godliness, specifically in this area of generosity. Because this is one very tangible, practical way we can live out the gospel and show the effects of the gospel of grace working in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to, we're going to spend most of our time in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll spend a little bit of time in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as well. Actually, if you all would stand with me for the reading of the word. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And, and this, not that we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus as he, as he had started so that he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. For I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. 
So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and so that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Here's our big idea this morning. The grace of God generates generosity, joyful generosity in the lives of Christians who allow the gospel to be applied to the realm of their resources. The grace of God generates joyful generosity in the lives of Christians who allow the gospel to be applied to the realm of their resources. Now, let's just, first of all, give a little context of what was going on here. There was a need within the Jerusalem church, and the Apostle Paul was using his influence, using his authority to be an advocate, to to bring help, financial help, to a church that was going through a really difficult time, okay? And the Corinthians had enough to get by with and more. And so he was encouraging them because the Corinthians had been, had been brought into the big family of God. They had become Christians, new creations in Christ Jesus. They had become members in the global body of Christ, the universal body of Christ. And, and so Christians care for one another. This is what Christians do. And so the Apostle Paul was a conduit of that, that tangible um, care for the poor church. And so in Romans chapter 15, there's mention of this. At the present time, he says, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them for the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought to also be be of service to them in material blessings. And then we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul mentions this collection for them. He says, now concerning the collection for, for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so that you are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so the Corinthians made a pledge, they made a commitment that they were going to help out with this collection but they hadn't followed through on what they said they would do. And so the Apostle Paul reminds them, and he gives two chapters on, on uh, generosity in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, encouraging them, not commanding them, but encouraging them and seeking to persuade them with beautiful gospel truth. Reminding them of what Christ has done on their behalf and reminding them of the beautiful example of the Macedonian Christians who were poor 
and they gave sacrificially out of their, their, their poverty. Okay. Now the apostle Paul's kind of following the footsteps of Jesus. Like remember when Jesus was with the disciples in the temple and all the offerings were being brought up to the front and the wealthy were, were throwing in their large amounts of money out of the, the their, their, out of their surplus. And there was this little old poor widow who came up with just two mites. And she put her two mites into the offering. And Jesus says, you see that woman right there? She gave more than everyone else. Didn't make sense, right? Like as far as the amount, it wasn't more. But she gave more in the eyes of God because she gave sacrificially based on what she had, right? And so Paul points the Corinthian church to the Macedonian Christians, the Philippians, those who are in Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, and Berea. And these guys were, were poor. They didn't have a whole lot, but they were eager to give. They were excited about giving. Now, I tried to, to think about what this, what this might look like. So I, I, I thought about this scenario. Imagine you're at, at Walmart and you're in line and your kids are begging to go out to eat. And there's somebody in front of you, somebody who, who doesn't make very much, and they're buying their beans and rice for dinner, right? And they overhear this conversation between you and your kids. And your kids are like, come on, mommy, let's go to Chick-fil-A. Or daddy, let's go to Chick-fil-A. And you're like, no, we can't do it. Y'all know that we're over budget right now. We can't afford to go out to eat. And, and just imagine that this person who's buying the beans and rice for their dinner, if they, they turn around with a big smile on their face and they pull out from their back pocket a gift card to Texas Roadhouse, a $100 gift card to Texas Roadhouse, and with a big smile on their face, they say, here, take those kids out to, to get some steak. Imagine, imagine, imagine that happening, okay? Somebody who's struggling and, and going through a difficult time just to provide for their basic needs, and they, out of joy, out of the overflow of joy, say, hey, y'all go out to eat, enjoy this, right? This is kind of like what the Apostle Paul was highlighting in the Macedonian Christians. They didn't have a whole lot, but they sure were eager to give what they did have. They didn't want to miss out on this, what Paul calls grace, this blessing. You see, those of us who've been changed by the grace of God, we've experienced the grace of God, should experience this, genera this generating of generosity that flows from the inside out because God has been so generous to us. Now, first of all, Paul points to the, the, the Macedonian Christians, and he, there, he highlights uh, at least 10 things here about their lives. He says, the grace of God, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. They had experienced grace, and that gra they weren't only recipients of it, but they were conduits of that very grace. They, they, they were eager to give. They wanted to participate, and they begged Paul to let them participate. Chuck Swindoll says this, that in the light of God's magnificent grace, a cheerful heart and an open-handed generosity seemed the most natural responses. So the grace of God was upon their life. 
And that grace was manifested in their generosity towards to the Jer- Jerusalem church. They were also going through a test of affliction. They were going through severe trials and afflictions, yet they gave. Their circumstances didn't limit their generosity. Their, 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 um, the amount of finances they had didn't limit their generosity. They had great joy while experiencing poverty and trials. They were joyfully generous. They allowed the grace of God to generate joyful generosity through their life. And it was an overflow. Nobody had to coerce them. Nobody had to to command them to to contribute towards the Jerusalem saints, the poor Christians in Jerusalem who needed some financial help, they had experienced the grace of God on the inside. And notice what Paul says. He says that they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord. So they gave according to what they had, but, but even there were those who gave where it, it seemed like unreasonable, like, gosh, why are you doing this? But they were just so happy to do it because they knew that giving to others is not not merely an obligation. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity to show tangible love for people. And I think that's one of the things that hinders many of us from giving is is sometimes we feel like it's a should do or an obligation or... um, When, when, when the, the biblical perspective is this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for us to give to those who are in need. So they were begging earnestly, Paul says. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief. They were, they were of the saints. They were eager to give and they saw it as an opportunity a favor, a blessing, a grace that they didn't want to miss out in. Amen? So let me just say this, because I think oftentimes, oftentimes we may think that what we have to give isn't enough. Oftentimes we may not give because we think, well, what's my little two cents, my little whatever we can bring to the table? What's that going to make? What what kind of difference will that make? Right? Right? Well, in the eyes of God, when we give, when we give sacrificially from what we do have, it may be more than the large amounts that others may give. And so don't let what you have be a limitation for you experiencing the grace of generosity and the joy that flows from walking in that grace. There is great joy in being a giver. Paul goes on and he, he highlights this about the Macedonians, that they gave themselves first to God. They gave themselves first to God, first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Kent Hughes says that grace is first rooted in a response to God. They consecrated their lives to God and not only their lives, but what they had to God. They recognized everything ultimately belongs to God. And I'm a steward of, of what I have. And this is an opportunity to give towards those who are in need. Now let me just highlight 
the illustration of the Dead Sea and the, the Sea of Galilee. So in, in Israel, there, there are two different, there are two seas and one of them has a, an, an intake of life that goes into it, but there's no outflow. And so everything that goes into the Dead Sea, as it's, as you might guess with the name Dead Sea, dies. There's no, there's no outflow of life. And so what goes in there dies and you can, I've never been there, but I've, I've seen pictures and I've heard others tell of how you just, you can float. You can just float because it's so thick, right? And then, and then you got the Sea of Galilee that, that has lots of life because there's, there's life flowing into it and there's life flowing out. You see, when we just, when we're merely recipients of grace and blessing and good things in this life, but, but there's no outflow of service and giving of ourselves to others, then we become stagnant. Maybe we study the Bible, we go to Bible study, we get lots of information, Bible, biblical understanding, but if there's, if there's study but no service, we become stagnant, right? And so there needs to be an outflow for each of us for our own joy and for the, the glory of God. Tim Mackey in the Bible Project says this. He says, to be a Christian means to let this story sink deep within your mind and heart, letting it transform you into someone who is more generous, more willing to share your life and resources to help others. Real Christianity is generous. We can... We can give without loving, but we can't love without giving. Love must be expressed in a giving of ourself, a giving of resources, a giving practical, tangible expression of giving. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son, right? John tells us that, you know, if, if we see somebody in need and, and we just say, hey, be warm and fill or be God bless you. Or, or, and we don't we see somebody in need and we don't do anything about the need. He says, how can the love of God be in us? Right. And so when we when we participate in this grace of generosity, we display the love of God. The gospel is being lived out through our life. It was Billy Graham who said that if a person gets his attitude towards money right, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. That's a huge statement right there. Now, we know that Jesus had some really big statements about how we manage what we have in our relationship with God. He said, you can't serve God and money. He knew that materialism in this world is a threat and a challenge uh, for, for all of us who are in this world. Okay, notice verse 6 and 7 in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul calls the Corinthians to enter into joy, the joyful grace of generosity. He says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, or in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace also. 
See that you excel in this grace also. Now just think about what, what he's saying here. Think about what is it that you excel in? Okay? Do you excel in teaching the Bible? It's as if Paul is saying, well, are, are you good at teaching the Bible? Are you good at speaking? Then let the love of Jesus be shown in this aspect of your life as well are you good at evangelism and telling others about how much god loves them well let let the love of christ come through your life in this area as well or perhaps are you good with numbers now learn to implement these kingdom numbers into your life are you good with administration now now participate in administrating to help the needs of of those around you Are you good with music and creating beautiful music or art? Now let this, the beauty of generosity be put on display for all to see. Excel in this area as well and display the beauty of the kingdom. Maybe you're a good problem solver. Are you good at solving problems? Well, excel in helping those who are experiencing all kinds of financial problems as well. Excel in generosity. Excel in this grace as well. That This is what Paul was calling them into. One commentator says this. Paul had plenty to say about the Corinthians' propensity to talk themselves up. Now he says that they have an opportunity to put their money where their mouth is. For the gospel produces generosity. So give like the Macedonians. Follow their example. As they follow Christ's example. Now again, Paul's being persuasive here. He's given, he's given reasons for them to, to step into this grace of generosity. And now he pulls out the big guns. He goes to the Macedonians first. He says, hey, look at these guys. But then look in verse 9. He points us to Jesus Christ, the ultimate example. He brings in this powerful gospel snippet here in this verse. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus became poor in leaving heaven, setting aside, uh, leaving his place in heaven and coming down to earth, taking on, emptying himself and taking on flesh and living a life in poverty, experiencing the trials and the difficulties of this life so that you and I can experience the richness of being a part of the kingdom of God. Fear not, he said, little children, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He brought the kingdom here on earth he humbled himself he became poor and this is the ultimate example this is the greatest reason why why christian why you and i are to live lives of joyful generosity because our lord jesus did this he does this our god is generous and we see the generosity put on display in the ultimate act of of this ultimate sacrificial act of jesus coming down to earth and giving his life as a sacrifice for us. Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just think about this. The king, the king who deserves to be served. It's right for us to serve him, to worship him, to give him everything. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Through what he's done, our lives are greatly enriched. Read Ephesians chapter 1 about the riches of his grace that you and I have become partakers of who are in Christ Jesus. Reflect on your great inheritance that you now have in Christ. You have everything you need. You're in the wealthiest family in the universe, God's family. You're a part of the everlasting kingdom where the king has everything that you and I need. Now, joyful generosity is a value that we have here at City Church. Of our eight values that that we have identified, uh, and and we have this on our website, and we have this on the the back of our cards, uh, our guest cards here. God has been abundantly generous towards us. And the effect of his generosity on us leads us to be joyfully generous towards others. We value this. This is an actual value here. And we want to grow in this. We want to grow in living lives that are joyfully generous. Not grudgingly giving, but joyfully giving of ourselves and giving of our resources. So the Apostle Paul gives a number of reasons for the Corinthians to participate in this grace of giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at several of them. I've already highlighted a few of them. First of all, he highlighted the Macedonian Christians had joyfully participated in this offering, and they didn't have as much. And then he highlighted that they were to excel in every area of their Christian life, right? To excel in this area as well. And also he highlights in verse 7 that it is... It reveals the genuineness of your love, he told the Corinthians. Excel in this area too because this here reveals the genuineness of your love. This is a tangible expression of your love for people. Jesus, And then Jesus modeled generosity and we and the Corinthians had benefited greatly from that. The other thing that Paul highlights is that the Corinthians were to do what they, what they uh, pledged to do. Excuse the, the typo. In verse um, 10, verses, verses 10 through 12, he says, In this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out. Of what you have. For if your readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. You go down a little bit further to chapter 9, and we see that, that Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. Each, of, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when his children reflect his character and act like him through being generous. 
He delights in it. Parents, don't we enjoy that? When our kids do what we teach them to do and sharing what they have. Isn't it beautiful when that happens? It, sometimes it doesn't happen as much as we'd like for it to happen, right? But it's a beautiful thing. Our hearts delight. We feel the pleasure of God when our children reflect generosity towards their siblings or towards anyone else. It's just a beautiful thing, right? And God's heart delights in us when we participate in this cheerfully. Now notice in verse seven, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or not under compulsion. You see, grace influences our lives and our hearts so that we respond to God's will for our lives, not reluctantly or under compulsion. But yet it requires some intentionality as well, right? We have to decide in our heart that we are going to be generous people, that we are going to reflect our heavenly father in this grace of giving. Paul wasn't trying to coerce them. He wasn't commanding them. He was calling them to to be generous people in, in light of who God is and what Christ had done for them. And in light of what they said, they said they were gonna help out the Jerusalem church, right? So Jesus said, let your yes be yes. And, and so he was encouraging them to do so for those very reasons. And then notice verse six. Chapter 9, verse 6, those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. Verse 6 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Okay? So he's using an agricultural term here. He's, he's using the imagery that, that those in the first century would be very familiar with, and, and most of us are as well, but most of us aren't farmers. But he's using the, the imagery of sowing and reaping. And, and the idea of a farmer sowing bountifully is, is not him going out and just putting one seed here, one seed there, but him walking through with a bag of seeds and just throwing out the seeds, just bountifully throwing them out. If the farmer was to just you know, put one here, one here, one here, the crop's going to look a whole lot different. The results are going to be a whole lot different, right? And God has an abundance for his children. He has all that we need. He provides all that we need. And so we can open our hands and not be so tight-fisted with what we have because he's provided what we have and he will continue to provide what we need. So here's some Old Testament wisdom with wealth in Proverbs. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs nineteen seventeen, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 28, 27, 
It says, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Malachi 3.10, speaking about the Old Testament uh, uh, practice of tithing. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out on you, pour out for you a blessing until there is no more needed. So there's just some, a couple of Old Testament scriptures. And notice the Apostle Paul doesn't bring up tithing in this context. He brings up joyful generosity in this context. And for, for Christians, 10% of our giving isn't the standard. It's a great place to start. It's where I started as a new Christian and have continued for 23 years to start with 10%. But it, that's, those are just training wheels for the Christian, Right? We are to go, grace calls us to live so much more generously than merely 10% or whatever the percentage it is. We're ultimately, we're to give everything to God. It belongs to him. He's the provider of what we do have. And so let me highlight another thing here in verse 8 through 11. By the way, can, can you tell I feel a little uncomfortable talking about this? This is not my favorite subject to talk about. Uh, of course, my name, my last name is Keith Dollar, and I don't want you to see me. I don't want you to see me as a prosperity preacher because I'm not. But but money and generosity and our relationship to it is addressed a whole lot in the Bible, and Jesus talked about this a whole lot more than many other subjects, because he knew that where your heart, is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He knew that if he's really going to get to the heart of his audience, he needs to talk about those things that have the strongest grips on their heart. Like love for money. Can't serve God in money. But I love what Paul's doing here. He's given us a gospel vision. He's given us a vision of the generosity of God, the grace of God that has been displayed through Jesus Christ. To win our hearts over, away from selfishness and greed and materialism, just tight-fisted trying to hold on, and to be won over with the beauty of grace, and be transformed and empowered to be a generous, loving person by the grace of God, the very grace that has saved us, and His work in us to will and to do His good pleasure. So notice in verse 8 through 11, how Paul highlights that God is our provider. He's, he was the provider for the Corinthians. He gave them what they need. Verse 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God has given you, saints, everything you need for life and godliness. He's given you everything you need to do his will in this season and in this time. And don't think that just because you're lacking in some areas like financially that you're limited to doing the will of God based on that because you're not. Actually having a whole lot of stuff can be a greater hindrance to many of us. And a snare for many of us who, who don't have the capacity right now to handle lots of stuff. 
The Bible warns about the dangers of wealth. But whether you have a lot in this life and in this world, or whether you have a little, God is enough. He's enough for you. He's enough for you and I to be content. Now, we're bombarded with all kinds of advertisement that tries to get us to be a little discontent and persuade us that we really need something that we don't need. And all of us have given into it, right? We see we're on, we're looking at a web page and there's these art, you know, we, maybe we, we mentioned something and it, and it pops up on our phone, right? Pops up on our phone and it's the advertisement of the very thing we talked about. And then we're, next thing you know, we're on Amazon and we're like, boom, and we got it coming tomorrow. And we, we gave in to the bait. Switch and bait, right? And we made an, an emotional buy just right there, just like that. It's so easy to just rack up your credit card and get what you want when you want it. Don't wait for it. Don't work hard. Don't save for it. Just get it right now. And we're presented. <laughs> that was ironic. Hallelujah. We're presented with so, so much temptation in this realm. Our country is is saturated with materialism and we as christians have to be countercultural. we have to go against that we have to guard our hearts from the dangers of materialism and the grip that the possessions of this life have on our hearts in our lives lest we be like the fool that jesus told about in luke's gospel but who just stored up for himself and he decided he was going to tear down what he had and build up bigger barns And he didn't know that his very life was going to be gone that day, right? Jesus teaches us a better way, a better way to invest, to make a lasting investment. Store up your treasures in heaven through generosity. And if you struggle with this, be reminded that God is your provider and he will provide what you need. Verse 9 says, as it is written, he has distributed freely He has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. I believe that's Psalm 112, speaking of the godly man who fears the Lord. He who supplies the seed for the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to god okay notice the outcome of of the when we're generous that there's thanksgiving brought to god and glory brought to god through through that god enriches our lives not so that we can increase our standard of living and have more comfort he enriches our lives and gives us more than we need so that we can help meet the needs of those around us so that we can experience the joy of being a giver, of reflecting the character of God. J.I. Packer writes about some three biblical goals of in giving. He says, the ministry of giving has many goals, spreading the gospel, sustaining the church, providing care for distressed individuals. The ministry of giving in all its forms aims to advance the kingdom of God which becomes reality in human life whenever the values and priorities of Christ's teachings are observed. 
It goes without saying that in this ministry, all God's people are meant to be involved. Paul writes about a gift of giving, a spiritual gift, those who are just wired towards that, right? We can't say that's not my gift just because that's not our primary gift that we're not going to participate in that, right? Just like many other areas in the Christian life. This is, this is an area that we're all called to participate in, that, that, we're, that we all get to participate in, okay? Don't think of it as a should or an obligation or a mere duty. Think of it as an opportunity. Think of it as a joy. Think of it as a grace because it is. God's given us grace and he allows us to experience his grace and be conduits of his grace. And we're fully alive when we walk in this, right? Rather than hoarding and holding on to our lives, Jesus says we'll lose our life if we're trying to keep it. But we experience true life as we, we give it away. And so what are the barriers that you're facing to be a generous person, to reflect Christ in this particular area of your life. We all have hindrances and barriers and challenges, and here's just a few of them that I've identified. One is fear. Some of us have an orphan mentality. Is God gonna, I don't know if he's gonna provide, I don't know if I'm gonna have enough, right? There's stories of orphans who, um, when they're brought into families, they're just hoarding in the closet or high, you're just holding on because they're, they're, they're not sure if they're going to have enough, right? We have a heavenly father who takes care of us. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, right? Lack of understanding, okay? Lack of understanding of, about God's word and uh, and how how finances, how to manage finances and, and, um, and do well with them. Love of money, can have a grip on our heart and hinder us materialism indifference towards people we see and hear about needs but we're not touched or moved to take any action deceitfulness of riches riches are deceitful they seem to promise so much and deliver so little they seem to promise so much they seem to promise happiness and security and life but they don't deliver all that. Your life doesn't consist in the things that you have, Jesus says. They're deceitful. And they choke out the word from being fruitful in our lives. And then just unwise stewardship. Many of us have, have fallen into the, the switch and bait, um, the bait and switch, uh, the, uh, the marketing and materialism of our day. And we've made unwise decisions and we've racked up debt, financial debt to where we're just not free to give because we got this burden of debt that we're living under we need to experience freedom from that and so i think that the gospel of grace can help us to overcome materialism greed and be generous people that god has called us to be and so let me close with a couple points of application here reflect on how god has provided for your needs and promises to do so now and in the future. Just think back. This is a great season to reflect, isn't it? It's Thanksgiving season, holiday season, beautiful fall season. And I tend to reflect more during this time of year, during the holidays. 
and think about the year and think about where I've seen God's goodness and grace, kindness towards me throughout the year. Think about some of the experiences I've had, the answered prayers that I've had. Just the other night, my my eight-year-old daughter um, received Christ. My wife was able to walk her through becoming a Christian after she's asked about a number of times and we've held her off. Just wanted to make sure that she's not just following brother or sister, um, but that she's ready. And it seems that the Spirit of God has done a work in her heart and she has a believable profession of faith and that she's ready to take that step. And so for the first time this morning, I got to partake of communion with my eight-year-old daughter as a Christian in the family of God. And that's just one of the ways, just one of the ways that God has been good to me and my family in this season. Think about all the goodness that I've experienced this year. And and you all are a part of that family, church family. You all are, are a part of that goodness, the richness of relationships, the comfort, the encouragement of being able to walk together with other brothers and sisters who uh, are running after Jesus and seeking to serve others. Reflect on how God has provided for you in every area of your life, spiritually, relationally, financially. And, and reflect on the promises that he, can, that he will continue to take care of you. Identify the barriers that do hinder you. What are those barriers? I mentioned some of them. It may be something else that hinder you from experiencing the joy of generosity and renew your mind with God's perspective in Scripture. When you identify, what is it that's holding you back from being a generous person? Then move towards Scripture and find out, what does God say about this particular area that I'm struggling with that's holding me back? And lastly, counter materialism and greed with generosity. Randy Alcorn who's written a good deal about generosity, says that giving is the only antidote to materialism. Giving is a joyful surrender to a person and a greater agenda. It it dethrones me and exalts him. I'll read it again. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. It dethrones me and exalts him. Who wants to participate in that? This is a great season to participate in the grace of generosity. Amen? And so if you all would bow with me, we're going to pray. Kevin, would you come up? And I'd like for us to just ask God, What is your most pressing issue with me right now? What are you putting your finger on? What do you want to speak to in my life right now? Maybe it has to do with another area. Not not what we talked about today. Lord, would you search our hearts? And reveal any hurtful way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. 
may we not miss out on the joy of being generous people, of participating in kingdom work, kingdom activity. May our values, our actual values, not our not merely our aspiring values, but our actual values line up with the values of the kingdom, with biblical values. Help us, God, to face the barriers in our hearts and in our lives that hold us back, that limit our joy, that limit us from walking in the grace that you've called us to walk in. May our joy increase as we follow you in this. May we experience greater intimacy with you as the grip of the, the, the worldly possessions, lessons in our life. May the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace, God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we pray.